Every morning I have coffee with Jimi Hendrix. His persistent and demanding eyes invoking me, wake up, rise and shine. Raising the bar so high I can barely imagine myself living what he seems to require. I've been waking up to him for 30 years now. He stares out at me from my late husband's most beloved poster, a pop art masterpiece. Pinnacle Concert Shrine Auditorium, February 10, 1968. Jimmy and his pointillist hair dissipating into the air around him, rushing rivers of brilliant electricity erupting strangely upward like fire. I did not grab him when I left the night of our fire, nor his companion piece on the wall, a brush painting of a horse galloping toward the onlooker, veering to the right at the very last second, close enough to smell its sweat, hear its hoofbeats, its snorting. It runs full tilt, every muscle flexed and momentous. It is running for its life, to live it fully. Magnificent, both of them, Jimmy and the horse, my tutors on the wall. Do I need cataclysm to renew myself periodically, like the chaparral, the grasses, the sages? unpredictably and for too many disastrously, to renew when I become too thick and overgrown in my thinking, my life. Brittle tinder for relationship conflagration, for relationship even with myself. We've all been fighting lately, barking at one another, one another nipping, itching, irritated. My family, too. There's no winning there. There's only love and mad motion coming straight at me, a galloping horse, a taut set of strings screaming the dissonance. I recognize as my life shattering, then reorganizing itself, bolting away again from the known, the recognizable. Wake up, he says. Wake up, lady. <laughs> On day two, I was a safe distance from the fire. In a discounted five-star hotel, curled under a goose-down duvet, fully clothed. But mentally, I was in my own living room back home, seeing my morning companions on the wall as smoke filled the house, their inflammable message steady, challenging. Even now, as I wake to him, Jimmy's fierce eyes can still warm or destroy. His brief life, a poem to his times and the times that keep cycling around and around. It wasn't while fleeing as I glanced in the rearview mirror to the flames and black smoke that seemed to be chasing me, but later, days later, while walking the crunchy ash of it with masked breath and my tired arms lying uselessly at my sides, did I feel fully my reluctance and my hope a painful, charred landscape for the bruised heart to imagine itself into being again. Welcome back to the Townies podcast. I am Kim Maxwell. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop in a small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. For over 25 years, my brilliant and courageous students, ranging from absolute beginners to total pros, 
have been wearing their hearts on their sleeves and unapologetically sharing their stories in front of live audiences. I was in class on Monday, December 4th, when we all got news of a small brush fire near St. Thomas Aquinas College, only 11 miles from our class and my studio. There was no way to know what the combination of thirsty chaparral climate, Santa Ana winds, dry, drought-ridden topsoil, and devastating rains would bring. The pieces in this episode were all written amidst the chaos and destruction of all things Thomas. And this episode is part one of what will be a series dedicated to the beautiful, resilient, exhausted and heartbroken folks affected by the Thomas Fire and Montecito mudslides, because the experiences and stories of those affected vary so greatly. December 4th marks the beginning of a journey we are all on as friends and neighbors. For some of us, that journey has just begun. And for that, I am so very sorry. In sharing these stories, we hope that you will find connection and understanding where you may have felt alone. And to our fellow townies in Houston, Puerto Rico, Santa Maria, and elsewhere, still struggling in the aftermath of severe natural disasters, we stand with you in grief, loss, and solidarity. Episode 22, Thomas. My son, is he okay? Why does he always just give one word answers? Is he listening? Does he not care? Is he always stoned? Simone, with her razor sharp self criticism, cutting down everything she does. Julia, I think they just cut one of her grants. Oh my God, our finances, such a mess. I wake up, it's two in the morning. I don't know why. I'm wide awake. My heart is racing, breath flap. I look around, nothing. My husband is snoring lightly. I'm panicked, but blank. Joel, Joel, are you awake? Sometimes fear appears as bewilderment. It's energy like a tumbleweed in a desert storm gathering speed and size as it journeys across inner landscapes of rumination and speculations. Unknown urgency whips the mind and quickens the heartbeat. Sheer speed seems to control everything. Sometimes fear appears as an outer threat, putting body and mind into high alert and readiness, its menace inducing a sharp, icy clarity. Rolling smoke. Half the valley is covered in it. Orange glow, black clouds whipped by raging winds. Strange beauty of raw power. A huge moon stares unchanged from behind an ever-shifting image of black and dark and gray, menacing, then suddenly glimpses of light. Wafts of stifling and suffocating smoke irritate the throat. Fear rises up from the stomach like an uncontrollable wave. In the midst of it, I'm overcome with admiration for this eerie beauty of this painting of red, 
orange and black. The sun has turned the color of blood, a big single drop of red ink in a darkened sky. Joel, Joel, stand over here. See there? Those are flames, big ones. Yes, there is no smoke because this wind has pushed it all over there. See that? And now look over there by Thatcher School. Those are flames too. That's close. Time to go. No, I'm not staying to defend the house. No, not with your 91-year-old mother with dementia. No, I'm not evacuating her by myself. Yes, let's carry the outdoor furniture away from the house. Yes, we can rake all the dead leaves into the street. Yes, we can put out ladders and hoses. Oh my God, this is insane. Joel, please come help. Joel, Joel, are you texting? (laughs) I am... I am furious at the fact that I can't make him see like I do. Why are we are trying to get out while he is organizing all the neighbors? They just named him the mayor of Mercer Avenue. <laughs> Please, Joel, time to go. I'm walking your mother to the car. We can pick up her medication at Rite Aid on the way out of town. By now, it's past five o'clock. The valley is starting to fill with smoke, and time seems to be running out. When we finally get to Rite Aid, it is dark, and everything's closed down. We can see fire glow and flames on two sides of us. The electricity seems to still be out. Joel's mother, Anne, humming in the back of the car, clutching her blanket, ready for a family outing. A heavily tattooed man in a wife-beater shirt rattles the door to the pharmacy. He turns around and profusely swearing, he slams the door to his enormous truck and screeches off into the smoke-filled night. It is ghostly. I feel like I'm stuck in a bad sci-fi movie. Joel's face is focused now. The steady streams of cars returning into the valley makes us realize that the 33 is closed now. As we turn onto the 150, we can see huge flames towards Lake Casitas. The knuckles on my hands are turning white from gripping the steering wheel so tightly. Mom, can we still go that way? Simone inquires in a shaky voice. I'm not sure. I keep driving just like the cars in front of us The ridge line to the left is ablaze. Fire engines are driving into the valley. Nobody tells us to stop, so we drive into the red and dark night. When we get to Carpinteria, we decide to stop and have some food before driving on to L.A. The first person we run into in the crowded Thai restaurant is an old friend ordering food for his family. They lost their house in Upper Ojai the night before. All I managed to say is, I'm so, so sorry. While he keeps reassuring us, we're okay, we're all okay. It turns out that a lot of our friends have evacuated to Carpentria Campground. 
Joel wants to join them, forgetting that we have his 91-year-old mother in turn. <laughs> the air is now filled with smoke and fog, flames dimmed in the distance. As we drive on the 101 freeway, the fire is being pushed all the way down to the northbound lanes, and then suddenly it's on two sides. Flames! Flames! Anne points out the window. Cars are pulling over. I can't tell if only to see better or out of caution. We decide to keep driving right through the middle of it. I feel strangely invigorated, breathing fast and sitting bolt upright. So insane, but I don't know what else to do. Finally, at Charles Brothers' house in Los Angeles, <coughs> Anne happily slurps her steaming soup. In my comfortable bed, I close my eyes, and all I can see are bright orange walls of fire. My hair smells of smoke. I feel bewildered. I hope people are okay. I hope my house is okay. I hope we'll have a town left. My throat feels tight, and I feel empty and sad. We drive back to Ojai five days later. From the 101 freeway around Thousand Oaks, we start to see a huge bloom of smoke. It must be several miles high and looks like an atomic cloud. The whole back country is still burning. The sheer enormity of it takes my breath away. Driving into the Ojai Valley, it is strangely warm. The smoke is hanging low, filtering everything in foggy grayness. The mountains and hills around us are a vast wasteland, black, smoldering, bare, lifeless. Burning mountains, dying and injured animals, friends without homes, without anything. Life seems to have been pushed to a more extreme zone of survival. Sometimes fear appears as a small, dark and cold space somewhere in the bottom of my stomach. Its shivering darkness has the ability to grow and seep into other areas of the body, paralyzing with its frigid immovability. A few days after the rains, I take a walk in the blackened, lifeless mountains, bare with skeletal arms burnt of burnt trees reaching into a brilliant blue sky. Looking closer, I can see little green sprouts pushing up through soot and ash. The slopes around us are starting to display a slight hue of green. The fire's power with its violent roar of destruction left the defaced and dead landscape. Now life's strength is pushing with tender shoots persistently towards the light. I feel small and in awe. Fear and hope have dissolved into a raw and open heart. That was Jeanette Stompfli with her piece, Fear. And now, Ambulance Song, written and performed by Rain Perry. The ambulance left a while ago A couple cop cars waiting for a tow truck Lights flashing caught my eye 
But it was all over by the time I drove by There's somebody somewhere it's sinking in Life will never be the same again An hour ago there was nothing wrong Now someone's wondering how they're gonna go on Maybe you're looking out the window at a traffic light Wondering how you'll ever make it through the first night Wish I could reach you from down the road To let you know that it will be okay It won't feel this way I'm racking my brain for why this loss has settled so deeply in my heart. It's just a house. It's just a house. 4 a.m., heart pounding, panic setting in, dreams of fire pending, chaos, smoke swirling, freight train racing, consuming all around me. The grief comes in waves, in moments you least expect it, sometimes knocking you over, tossing you tumultuously in its churning waters just when you thought you might ride that wave. Just when you figured out that you could maybe move forward after the loss of your husband of 40-plus years. That stalwart Scottish mountain man, builder of bridges, poet, teacher, curmudgeon, <laughs> not always easy tempered, <laughs> who loved meeting people and loved hearing their stories. 
and who built Caesar Canyon up from the deserted state he founded in in 1964. The dreams of a YMA summer camp denied by the county of Ventura as there was one road in and one road out, making it highly vulnerable to a forest fire. I remember building our Caesar house rock by rock, commencing with hand digging the trenches for the foundation, eight months pregnant. <laughs> there was no holding me back. And so many people woven into the tapestry of this countercultural community, <clears throat> sharing our love of living close to the land. The smell of fresh bread baking, diving into the icy cold spring-fed pool on a hot Ojai summer day. Children climbing into the cherry tree to capture the last of the delicious fruit that the birds had missed. And a fig tree spreading its protective branches over the shimmering trout-filled pond. Celebrating birthday parties with little girls in black patent leather shoes and frilly dresses at a definite handicap to our two little mountain goats dressed in <laughs> Levi's and hiking boots as they scampered up the nearly vertical hill to the garden and the baby goats and this heart-opening view of Topa Topa. And in winter, crossing those swollen rivers on rope bridges when the sheer volume of the water forbid your crossing. But ah, the photos of the destruction in Caesar Canyon, the could withstand all rock house with the metal roof and the metal covered wooden shutters, the caved in timbers, the cracked mortar, the crumbling rocks, distorted almost to non-recognition. And gone are the tiny houses, the massage room, the workshop, and all of the infrastructure. And the burning bridge? No bridge. No rope, no access, no connection to the past. Not even a way to assess the damage. No opening in my heart to go there either. How to reconcile this pile of rubble with 37 years of a family home? How to say goodbye to a life's journey? And now I find myself at another crossing. Where to go from here? How to move from the trance of fear and take the first step? To heal the heart, to move on from the loss. <clears throat> to embrace with passion whatever's next. Who am I beyond what I've spent a life creating? I'm independent. I'm loyal. I'm a lover of movement. I'm resilient and fearless, full of laughter, playful, fireball, hummingbird, flexible. My husband used to call me the chameleon, as I was equally comfortable <clears throat> at a cocktail party or a kirtan. And like the rings of an ancient redwood, I'm a composite of all the roles I've taken on in my life. The flower child, the tantrum thrower, lover, wife, mother, 
gardener, masseuse, and widow. Oh, that dreaded term. What's it like to be a widow? At first, it's kind of freeing until the loneliness catches up with you and quiet. No one to bounce your reflections off of. No one to get angry at. (laughs) No one but you. But in my inimitable social way, finding solace in my singing group, in my meditation circle, in my hiking partners, but most profound of all, the bereavement group, the women who run with wolves, these vital, funny, reflective, transparent, and ageless women who offer up emotional support and unconditional love. As we show up for any event, music, birthdays, weddings, or just because we don't want to have one more meal alone. And this circle of widows seem to understand my experience of knowing loss at a deeper level. Knowing that it's not something you can pass through unburned. No one can walk you through heartbreak. You have to feel it. It's not going away. It may lighten a little bit, but it will always be there at your core. And when I finally reach the depth of my grief, what will I find there? Quiet, simplicity, birdsong, nothingness, everything, shakiness, aloneness, fear. Will I allow myself permission to love again, to rebuild, to imagine imagine a life beyond loss. There are grandchildren. There's this beautiful valley and all the amazing people who embody it. There's the possibility of rebuilding. What if I'm too fucking old to rebuild? (laughs) There's the opportunity to not rebuild. To sit in a simple cabin or on a redwood deck under a majestic oak, looking up at the still bold and beautiful view of Topa Topa. No goats to milk, no fences to mend, nowhere to be but here. And that was Karin Drawn with Into the Broken Heart. Plenty good day in the teen of this new and violent century. By anyone's reckoning, I suppose. We're here, waiting and at the same time carrying on. It reminds me of the decade preceding my birth, World War II, and all the loss and all the love and all the beginnings, born on the aftermath of massive daily, minute-by-minute threat. As though the breath is held, listening. Can I enjoy the sun? Am I reconciled to my acts of cowardice, the acts of tenderness and generosity I did not bestow due to fear? Or is it fear? 
Was it waiting for the moment to feel right when reality is simply a piece of temporal clay, a canvas, an urgent play of possibilities across the air and the room between people that builds to a storm of destruction or recreation, or both, motion and tandem improvised in the split second? How to train for this? Or is the training rather no training, no preconception, only willingness informed by all the pain I have given or received, inspired by imagination of what could be. One always has a partner in the acts of creating the moment, and there is no preparation for that. There is only acceptance. There is only trust. There are so many silent people in this room carving their truths from the, word, from the air with words that are as real and more real than the truths they are telling. I can feel all of us saying the same thing, sharing the same silence of sympathy, of breaking over and around and under each other's hands, creating and presences, giving off breath and warmth and scent. Even in this violent decade, there will always be rooms of people exhaling with trust, telling the truths that, even if provisional, hold us all safe for the moment of this breath and this alone. With her pieces Invocation and Benediction, that was Jemmy Reese McDonald bookending our episode. The entire townie staff would like to express our most sincere appreciation for our incredibly brave and selfless firefighters, inmate firefighters, search and rescue teams, Caltrans workers, and first responders from municipalities all across California and neighboring states who fought tirelessly against Thomas and the devastating mudslides. If you are looking for places to donate or are in need of assistance yourself, please visit thetowniespodcast.org slash thomasfire for disaster recovery resources and a list of organizations in need of donations. We, the Townies of Ventura, Santa Barbara, Montecito, Ojai, Santa Paula, Casitas Springs, Carpinteria, Oakview, Upper Ojai, and Fillmore, and all that unincorporated land in the middle, we have each other's backs. And somehow, someday, we are going to lift each other back up. Thomas be damned. We are the townies, and I am ever so glad to be from this neighborhood. <laughs>